0: Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhart. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. So we're recording this on Tuesday, November 21st, which is two days before the day of thanking giving. And three days before the day of Black Friday. Although Here in the UK, we have Black Friday week, and some places even started with Black Friday sales on the first of the month. We talked about this in the past episode. Um, This episode won't be out until the 1st of December, so Black Friday is going to (laughs) be gone. We just talked briefly, are are you buying anything? Have you bought anything? Everything that's on sale here now will be on sale Friday. I, I don't expect many stores to have things on sale That start on Friday because it's like – it's a season, right? It's not a day or a week anymore. But have you bought anything yet?
1: I haven't. I haven't really found anything that I need. Uh, As usual, I need to look into like my storage situation. That's usually when I'll buy inexpensive hard drives. But I don't know. Mostly I've got everything – well – I shouldn't say this out loud because then I'll have a catastrophic <laughs> hard drive failure. But like for example, uh, I, I've traditionally gotten uh, like like battery chargers or um, like power bricks that will let you plug in several USB uh, things to charge. And if anything, I would consider one that has more USB-C ports than USB-A ports. But at the same time, I think that – I mean, honestly, I'm covered. I don't need any of these things. Maybe if I was traveling, I would revisit things to take while traveling. But like seriously, the closest thing that I got was uh, on Woot, W-O-O-T. They had like an actual Apple Watch fast charging cable, which is usually $29, $30. And they had it for $22. And... I decided to get that because I have one upstairs in my office and I want one downstairs to charge my watch faster. And it sounds silly. That's lazy, Jeff.
0: It's, it's, that's lazy. It's
1: lazy, but there there have been some times when I've 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 like needed to just like top it up, and it would just be easier to to put it on the little charger that's that's already downstairs that has an older charger that takes a really long time. So, you know. I'm going crazy this holiday (laughs) shopping season.
0: (laughs) So uh, next to my bed in the bedroom, I have that – I think they call it the travel charger, the MagSafe travel charger that folds and it opens and you can do a phone and an Apple Watch. Yeah. It's not not a fast charger for the Apple Watch, but I don't care. I have a fast charging disk down in my office for when I do need a fast charge. Yeah, Um, And I even have another – Charging disc in a drawer, which is a slow one because at one point I traded in an Apple watch to Apple. So you send the watch, you, you keep the band, the charging disc and stuff like that. Exactly. Um, so I don't really need another one, but it's always good to have those things because, because the watch doesn't charge with a plug. It has to have the special disc. And so if you lose it, then you're out of luck. Exactly,
1: and and that's the thing. Like I have plenty around, and we have like I have one in my in my bedroom next to the bed. Uh, I have one in my office, which is actually the fast charge one because I I will tend to. <laughs> Hi, welcome to uh, uh, Watch Active, our new uh, Apple Watch Focus <laughs> podcast. <laughs>
0: I- well, wait a second. We should mention that you have written um, many versions of a book about the Apple Watch at Take Control Books, and that's why you know so much about the Apple Watch.
1: There you go. Wow. I did not think this was going to turn into a pitch for my products, <laughs> but yes, let's do that. <laughs> so I tend to wear my watch Overnight, because I actually like not so much to track my sleep, which I guess is a nice bonus, but just because I like having the alarm go off on my watch, which just uh, pulses my my hand rather than have a big blaring alarm, whatever. Yeah. And yeah. so I tend to take my watch off sometime during the day when I'm working up in my office. And charge it there. And that's where the fast charger is. And then we have just one that's in the living room so that either me or my wife can drop a watch on it. And the one in the living room, if I've not charged whatever, I find myself in the living room and it's low. And if I want to put it on the charger, then it's going to take a long time for it to charge up. And I'm <laughs> saying these words out loud and it sounds so lame and so like first world whatever. But – yeah. Listeners of this podcast will know there are some things where if you get a little bit of a boost in time savings or whatever, it does make a real difference whether that's with camera gear or outdoor gear or you know charging your watch and for 20 bucks I'm able to make my life a little bit easier sometimes there you go
0: so there is a concept in Buddhism called dukkha D-U-K-K-H-A. Um, you may have heard the that in Buddhism, there's this thing called the Four Noble Truths, and the First Truths is often translated as life is suffering. Dukkha is translated as suffering, but that's not what it is. It's not all about suffering. It's the idea is that suffering is part of life, but Dukkha isn't suffering. Dukkha is annoyances. I think the original meaning of the word Dukkha was um, a rickety wagon wheel right? So imagine you're in one of those horse-drawn carts, and you have that rickety wagon wheel, and it's uncomfortable. And these little things, these frictional things in our world are tiny bits of dukkha that annoy us, that you want to charge the watch, and you can't do it fast enough, and that's just frustrating you. So I'm all in favor of getting rid of the, the, the static around us, right? The little dukkha of things like that to make life just a little bit better.
1: Absolutely. See? We've completely justified our reasoning here. And this actually brings me to the idea of suffering because there's a word that I know that you love that I am – very much going to try to get you to say during this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't remember I exactly what the title, what I don't know
0: what the title it's, of this episode is going to be if <laughs> listeners know where we're going here because we really need to – it's been more than seven minutes. We need know, we to get, get to, to <laughs> the topic. And yes, you want me to say the B word but I'm not going to say what it. What
1: is it? I can't remember. Please, Kirk, tell yeah, me what that word I'm is. No, I'm <laughs> not going to
0: say the B word because I think it's a dumb word. We're going to talk about – Blur. That's the good word. No, the other ones that, the that does word.
1: start with B, but uh, I don't think that's the uh, one. We're, we're going to talk
0: <laughs> about the, the the blur you get in photographs, and there is a. I want to say that there's an obsession with certain photographers to have the fastest lens possible to have the most blur possible behind the subject. Yes, um, blur is useful when you're doing portraits, so the subject is against a. A diaphanous background, mm-hmm. right? The background's not clear, so it doesn't distract. Of course, many times in environmental portraits where you're showing someone doing their work, you want the background. But if you're taking a portrait of someone in the woods, you don't necessarily want the trees to be too present. But there are other ways to do this. And what I'm thinking is – I don't know if we talked about this in the past. The fact that the software is getting so powerful may obviate the need for certain things. Like um with the noise reduction tools that we have with software, you may be able to shoot higher ISO. Um With the tools that we have now to blur photos, mm-hmm. you may not need to get that... F zero point nine lens that you've been lusting after, which costs, you know, as much as a car or something. I'm exaggerating. I think Fuji makes an F one that's a couple thousand dollars or fifty mil, something Several like
1: thousand. that. Yeah.
0: But The problem with those lenses is that they're – I don't want to say they're one-trick ponies, but they're really made to be shot open. But when you shoot open, you get distortion in addition to the blur. So imagine you shoot at F8, Mm -hmm. that that famous Ouija saying, F8 and be there. Do everything in F8. If you shoot someone's face in F8, it's pretty much all in focus. If you shoot at F1.8 and you manage to focus the eyes, the tip of the nose might not be in focus. The ears might not be in focus. And that's a look that some portrait photographers like. But wouldn't you like the ability to blur the background and not the face? Yes. To use that ability, which uh, you'll talk in a minute about how the iPhone does that, to use that ability to make the background stand out without affecting the focus plane of the subject.
1: Yeah. So I think you're getting into several good points here and the way I want to tie this together is not so much whether you have a lens that can make that nice bouquet. I'm going to say oh. it. Ha <laughs> oh. I've said it. <clears throat> Excuse
0: me. And you're editing this episode, so I can't bleep it out.
1: <laughs> I'm editing this episode, so I'm going to use AI to make you say, I'm Kirk Beckler and I love bouquet. <laughs> no, I will not do that. So it's not so much that you have a lens that can create this image and that's a choice. That's a definite thing that you're doing and as you said, maybe you only have a lens that is wide open f3.5. Like I have one that's – it's a 3.5 and as you zoom in, the the aperture gets uh, narrower and so you don't have as much option to do that in camera. That's all fine. What we're talking about today is the ability to give you more control over how that turns out in software later because – Previously, if you shot it at 1.4 and you had that nice blur, you're stuck with that blur. If you shot it at f8 and it's not blurry, you're stuck with that unless you wanted to do some very complicated, uh, talent-intensive stuff in Photoshop. And that's sort of another realm. And what we're seeing now is the ability to add that simulated blur – and this isn't new, but it's, it's advanced quite a bit, which is why we're bringing this up, even though we talked about it uh, in an episode early on in the podcast. We'll put a link in the show notes. But now we can do this either in camera with like an iPhone or there are now new tools that will let you do this in software. And the point is you have control. So you can start with something that is has deep focus all the way through and – you say, that's a really good picture of this person, but the the trees in the background, or maybe there's like a playground or something, it's just distracting enough that your eye goes there instead of to the subject. And this is another tool that will allow you to make the the focus of the image what you want and make the rest of it blurry. And the key thing here is, doesn't necessarily look simulated, which I think is a fairly big advance over what we've had even a couple years ago.
0: Doesn't necessarily, the adverb is important there. Yes. So tell us how portrait mode works then. How does it know to separate the subject from the background?
1: Um, I think it's doing it by a combination of uh, using both the wide angle and the main angle cameras. So by, by looking at the scene with both of those, it can estimate depth. But a whole lot of it is basically using machine learning to identify subjects in the image. So when it sees that there's a person, then it knows that that is the likely subject, right? And then it estimates what the depth of certain things are from there. So what you end up with is a, an image and then it also has a separate depth map And that depth map is basically just an estimation of what the depth is in the scene. And once it has that data, then what Apple can do in the camera is blur the background and do it in such a way that they can be edited later.
0: And you can also do this in the photos app. In an iPhone or on the Mac. Exactly. Or an iPad.
1: Exactly. And right. W- which actually brings us to, I think, maybe the biggest tip that we can offer for portrait mode because when you're shooting in portrait mode – and actually I also want to point out the new phones. And I'm pretty sure it's just the iPhone 15 and 15 Pro has the ability that when you are pointed at something that would be a portrait subject, so a person or a pet, it will automatically capture that depth map. And so – You point it at someone and there's a little F icon for the aperture that shows up. And that tells you that it saved the depth information. And you can either show that in the image so you have the blur or not. But that gives you the ability to go edit it later. In other phones, you switch specifically to the portrait mode and then it it saves that information.
0: Okay, So I just took a photo of something on my desk. It's one of these um, vertical MagSafe charging stands right? And I shot it in portrait mode. And so one of the cool things, and I think this started with the iPhone 14, I I think it's phone specific and not software specific, is you can click in different areas to change the focus. Yes. Which is relatively, I think some time ago, we talked about different lenses and why we may not even need different lenses in the future because of the ability for software to be able to do this. If you have high enough resolution... And you can choose the the depth of field in software. That's quite amazing. Mm-hmm.
1: And actually, th- this brings me to I think what's the most important tip of using a portrait mode, which is the phone will want to do something like f2.8 mm-hmm. F2. or f4.5-ish. I think it does have some sort of algorithm for determining what that should be. But quite often, if you're at like f2.8 or f1.8, f even. I think it'll do down to 1.4. Oftentimes that's where you're going to see more of the distortion around the person. You'll see like a little bit of halo and that's when it looks a lot more fake. It's not necessarily that the background itself looks fake. It's that you can see the seam where it started versus the the area that's actually in focus. And so if you're taking portrait mode photos – the best thing you can do is if you still want that blurry background look, just go in and edit it so that you have um, – you know, set it to like F5.6 where you still get some blurriness but you don't have that extremeness of the extreme 1.4 blur. But at the lower apertures, higher number, lower simulated aperture, you're going to lose those artifacts. And then you're going to have a more realistic-looking background blur that I think in most cases, no one will be able to tell that you either shot that with a phone or that you manipulated the the background.
0: OK. Um, we're going to put a photo in the show notes that I just took of this charger. And I went into photos on my Mac and I changed it to – what is it? Cinematic mode to get the, the cool lighting. But if you look at the top of the charger, the top of the charger itself is blurry. So it's not really perfect. I mean, the, the, the thing is on an angle. It's not straight, but still mm-hmm. as you're talking about those edges, this is an example of the limitations of portrait mode that the, the round part of the charger, if you zoom in is blurrier than it should be, which frankly, it's, it's not a bad photo as a product photo for this sort of thing. But once you start the, I think the biggest problem is people with, a lot of hair sticking out or mm-hmm. cat's whiskers, those are going to get blurred incorrectly and they look weird.
1: Yeah. And also that's that's also a product of us knowing what that looks like. And so your eye is going to go directly to that.
0: If you think about it, look at me right now in the image in Zoom. Your eye is focused on my face. And the only part of your eye that sees things In focus or, or sharply is the very center, right? The fovea. So if you look at my face and you kind of let yourself look at what's around me without not look, without stopping looking at my face, if that makes sense, you'll notice that all the background is blurred. So it's kind of natural when we're looking at a person that the background isn't present just because of the way we see. Mm -hmm. And when this is duplicated, In camera or in iPhone, it does make it look more realistic. When you've frozen something on a photo and the background isn't blurred, it doesn't look like what we see. It feels different. One of the problems I have with people who are into the background blur is that they (laughs) tend to want to blur everything in the background as much as possible. Yeah, to the point that it's actually a distraction. Yeah, a very subtle blur is a much better effect, and and doesn't sort of call attention to itself
1: yeah that's that's exactly it and it, you know goes back to using this as a tool to bring attention to the thing that you want to have the attention the subject or the the stand or or whatever um
0: I, the subject or the stand,
1: <laughs> the, st- the subject, to the person. Or we the often stand. take
0: we often take portraits of charging stands. It's a very important um, sub genre of photography
1: <laughs> in our line of work. I think it probably happens a lot yeah. more than you would think. <laughs> <laughs> That's true.
0: All right. So Lightroom has a new feature to do a lens blur. So
1: Lightroom can take this depth map information that you captured with the phone and work with it, and it actually gives you more options. To do that. So, yes, you can turn it on and you can set the blur to be like a really high blur or a low blur. It doesn't give you the simulated aperture numbers that Apple does, but it's like you can set the blur to 70, and that's fine. But it also lets you see like a rough depth map of what that image information looks like. And then you can use sliders basically to say, all right, I want. Only the front part of the person's face in focus, if it has, you know, calculated it correctly, it it will do that. I'll put this in the show notes, but I have a, a picture of our friend Glenn Fleischman. He and I had coffee and I took a picture with an iPhone 15 and opened this in Lightroom. And what you'll see in the screenshot is the background behind him is a little bit blurry, not a whole lot. Uh, But the lens blur feature in Lightroom gives you a few different things. So you can set – and I have to use the word here because it's there in the screenshot. There's actually a bokeh (laughs) option which gives you five different types of bokeh. So when we're talking about bokeh, we're talking about the characteristic of the blur. And this simulates different kinds of lenses. So usually you just sort of want something soft, but there are some lenses that have sort of a more ring or donut shape, or maybe you have apertures that have like a you know a five-sided look to specular highlights and things like that. So you, you can choose more of the characteristic of the background blur, and then you can also adjust the, the focal range by, like I said, using these sliders that tell you what the estimated depth is. And I'll also put a screenshot in that visualizes the depth, which of course looks sort of scary, but this will show you what the software is seeing. Basically, color-coded depth information. So things that are, that are more yellow and brighter are the foreground. Things that are purple and blue and pink, those tend to be the background. And one advantage here that you don't have in, say, the uh, apple photos is you can use a tool and paint in some of the focus so if maybe the depth map didn't end up correctly or maybe like you want the extreme foreground to be blurry instead of in in like sharply in focus you can just paint that in and basically mess with it in order to get a better result again like i said earlier this is giving you more Control over what you're doing, not just with you know lighting and color and all that, but you're you're simulating that depth in a fairly natural way.
0: Okay, but this is lens blur only with photos from the iPhone, right?
1: Uh, yes and no. So if you have depth map information in the file, it will use that. If you don't, so let's say say you have a, a raw file, it will do its own calculation and it will look at the image and determine and and build a depth map based on what it can see there.
0: Okay, that's pretty cool. Now, we're going to put another screenshot into the show notes that I just added. Um, it is Snapseed, which has a what they call a lens blur option. So I've taken my photo that you saw earlier of the charging stand and I've uh, activated the lens blur tool to show you what it looks like. It's two concentric circles with a dot in the middle. And basically the blur... Um, between the first two circles is not strong. Between the outer two circles, it's stronger. This is the free iOS app Snapseed. I believe there's also an iPad version. Many apps have, what do you call it? A circular gradient? Yeah. Option where you can do something like that. I know that in Capture One, you could have a circle or you could make it into an oval, different things if you wanted to, um, do any kind of blur of individual objects and not only the entire photo. So there are plenty of ways you can do that, but that's not the depth map. That's a totally different thing. That's blurring a flat photo and you can't just choose to draw around the person with those tools and say this is the foreground and I want to blur everything else. However, this lens blur tool is very interesting for certain types of photos. Mm-hmm.
1: Again, Giving you lots more creativity as to what you want because, I mean, you know, the whole point of having a lens blur is to dictate how you want the viewer's eye to travel through the frame. So you want the viewer's eye to be uh, immediately drawn to, say, a portrait subject's eyes. So like those should be in focus and maybe it's not important that the ears are in focus because. That's that. That's, that's the look. I know
0: that's a. I know it's a style, but it looks too weird when I see that.
1: It does look a little bit too artificial.
0: Yeah. Okay, so the options we have are iPhone because it gives you a lot of possibilities afterwards. Mm-hmm. Something like. Lightroom, which uses the same depth mapping information, and then you have the tools like Snapseed or many other editing tools. I'm sure Lightroom has a similar circular gradient filter that can have a fall off and you can adjust the fall off and you can add um, brightness or dimming, you know, a kind of vignette effect to it. Yeah. So all of these allow you to... Approximate the blur, but there is nothing like a good photo with natural blur. And we have to have a cat photo in the show notes for this episode. Yes, we do. So there's a photo of Titus, the very close up photo. I would say that technically it's not a good photo because his eyes are out of focus, but I really like the way the fall off happens. Um, it looks like the camera focused on the space between his eyes on above the bridge of his nose. The left eye is a bit in focus. The right eye is out of focus. But you can see just the natural blur that's going toward the side of his face. And, you know, you picture the shape of a cat's head, kind of like a ball pointing to you. So naturally, the focal plane is going to fade off. This was shot with my X-Pro2 a few years ago with uh, Fujifilm's 35 millimeter f2 lens. So 50 millimeter equivalent at f2.5. So if I had shot this at F5.6 or F8, the whole face would have been in focus and you'd still have some blur in the background. But I like the way you get that fall off of the softness of his whiskers and the fur behind uh, behind his eyes and his nose. You see the eyes and the nose like a triangle and the rest of it just kind of fades into the darkness. Yeah.
1: Well, and this is a really good illustration of something that I think is still very difficult for all the things we've been talking about. Because a cat or a dog, so getting a cat to stand still long <laughs> enough to a cat, take a photo—it's exactly. already yeah. <laughs> uh, but just like having a lot of hair, a lot of texture. Even though all of the models are getting better at recognizing that, that's still a hard task. Something that is just a, a human with maybe some flyaway hair—that's not as difficult anymore. But a cat, definitely. But you know. The iPhone now recognizes pets as well as people. And so it's getting better. But if you were to give me that same shot at f8 or whatever and asked me to replicate this look that you have right here, I think it would still be very, very difficult without a lot of manual intervention in Photoshop.
0: Yeah. If you want that natural fall off, it's not going to be easy to do in software. You can get the focal plane of the subject in the background, but you can't get the globality of yeah. that fall off. Yeah.
1: You can. It would just take a, a lot more work. And so the good news is this is becoming easier for most subjects, not super close up picture of a fuzzy cat. And that's – Kind of the point that I wanted to make here was you have the ability to do this and it's not that difficult. You're not building lots of layers and masks and things in Photoshop to do it. You can literally just say, I want the background to be a little bit more blurry and I want it to have this characteristic and there you go. Like there, there's your family holiday shot right there.
0: OK. Shall we move on to snapshots? Let's move on to snapshots. What have you got? It's Black Friday week. What did you buy? It's Black Friday week. You bought a charging disk, but what else? What else have you got for a (laughs) snapshot?
1: I actually bought something that is on a Black Friday deal that I did not buy at a Black Friday deal. Uh, Here is my problem. I'm going to state the problem and then then tell you the solution. When we're doing things like this, now uh, you and I are on a Zoom call and I'm just using the built-in camera in my MacBook Pro, which is fine. And we're only recording audio, so Who cares? But there are some times when I'm doing like a presentation where I will use a better camera, either my Fuji X100V or sometimes if I'm doing like an actual meeting, like video meeting with somebody, I will use my iPhone. And the iPhone has the great feature that you can use it as a webcam. The problem that I've always really run into and hated is what do you put the iPhone in? And I've got a bunch of these little, you know, spring loaded clampy things that you put on a tripod. And I hate them. I always pinch my fingers. They are hard to work with, they're just terrible. So I saw this by getting, and this is, you know, something that I'm sure is made by 50 different Chinese manufacturers. Uh, this is a universal magnetic tripod mount adapter. And what it is is it's basically just the magnetic circle that attaches to the MagSafe portion of my phone. And then there's a little tiny ball head that comes out and then the rest of it just sticks onto – it's got a little quarter-inch tripod mount. And so if I have that on my little tripod that I already have, all I have to do is take my phone and just attach it magnetically. And I'm not dealing with the springs. I'm not pinching my fingers. It's strong enough to keep it there. And I can pull it on and off however I need. Uh, it's, it's only – well, it's normally $15. And um, it's by a company called J. kowai <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I butchered that. I don't, It doesn't really matter. You will find similar things. But um, again – Like tying this back to what we were saying, it's a small, inexpensive thing that is making my life easier because I don't have to deal with those stupid, annoying, spring-loaded bone clamps, which I – did I mention this? I hate them.
0: (laughs) <laughs> it eliminates a bit of duca. Yes. Now I have a I have a Belkin device that I bought when Apple first announced that the iPhone could be used as an external camera. Oh yeah. Um, for video things, Belkin made this one, which is specific to a laptop. So it's got like a, a what would you call it? A little thingy thing that goes over the top of the laptop. Mm-hmm. The problem is it's very heavy. The iPhone's heavy, and you have to keep your laptop screen relatively perpendicular to the surface. Uh. Um, rather than leaning it. So you've got to raise the laptop. It's not great. But it also has one of these kind of ring things in the back. So you can use it as a – what do they call it? A pop something for a phone. Yeah, And you can even put the phone on and use it as a stand. So it's really practical. I never use it as a camera because I don't have the need like you do. Yeah. Uh, But there are a a number of devices like this available.
1: Last thing I'll say is that uh, the company Moment – which they make lenses and things for iPhones. They have like a bigger, sturdier, more expensive version of this. I cheaped out and just went to Amazon to find something inexpensive. Totally, But it's it's also because like this is just something that's going to sit above my computer and – Permanently. Exactly. Yeah. So, all right. Kirk, what do you have this – I went into great length. Let's go to you now.
0: Mine's going to be really simple. I needed a new clock for the kitchen, and I'm a big fan of the brown uh, clocks, mm. originally designed by Dieter Rams, the guy who's well-known for having inspired Johnny Ive. And so I bought a BC26 brown analog wall clock in Schweiz, black. Um, I have one you can see over my shoulder there, over my door, which is a white one. And I wanted to have a black one for the kitchen. They were doing a Black Friday sale at 60% off, Ooh. which, I mean, 60%, that's a lot of money, even after you pay shipping. So it came to 17 pounds. Um, I love the simplicity of this design. It's just, it's that pure Bauhaus design. There's nothing in the way. It's, you've got the numbers, you've got the, the hands. The second hand is, it's a... It's a sweep secondhand in yellow, so it's easy to see. It's very similar to the Apple Watch utility face, which is the one that I really like. I like having an analog face for my Apple Watch. The difference is that the utility face on the Apple Watch, the numbers are much larger um, because they have to be big enough to be red on the face. And we'll put a link in the show notes to the Brown website, and you can see the numbers are small. And the, the tastefulness of this design is going to make me want to look at this clock in the kitchen. And I often... I can look at my watch, I can look at my phone, but if I'm needing bread, I can't easily look at my watch and I look at the clock, I know what time it is. It's that sort of thing. Nice. Everyone needs analog clocks. I think they're really, they remind us that time is circular.
1: And it illuminates dukkha.
0: It does. All right. We'll be back in two weeks with some other ways to illuminate dukkha. Sounds great. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast